Hello, pod pals, and welcome back to Best Girl Grip, the podcast that navigates the film industry through the lens of the women doing just that. I'm your host, Nicole Davis. This week, I've got a very exciting lineup of guests. Yes, you heard that plural correctly. I spoke to not one, not two, but three brilliant women working in the film industry. And the reason for that is that they formed the Tape Collective together. My guests are Angie Maneka, Israel Cassie, and Nellie Alston, who founded Tape in 2015 as a response to the lack of representation on screen. Their mission is to bring exciting screenings to new audiences, championing the forgotten could-be cult films of the festival circuit and programmes of women of colour both behind and in front of the camera. Over the years, Tape have curated a number of well-rounded screenings, bringing together film, art, music, talks and more into one space and events with a focus on representation, identity and heritage. Tape has also produced two zines, the first one called They Thought We Were Token, and the second issue, Moon Sisters, released six months later. Since launching in a community cafe nearly six years ago, Tape have expanded to include content writing, talks, consultation, curation, cross-art events, and an online streaming platform called Good Wickedry. We spoke about how Angie, Isra, and Nelly became interested in programming as individuals, and where the idea for the collective came from, and how they've retained the identity of the collective, as well as the passion for doing it as it's expanded. We also spend some time talking about their month-long season coming up at the BFI South Bank in July, called But Where Are You Really From?, which explores the nuances of being mixed heritage and will centre around three themes, the mother tongue, the significance of names, and the good immigrant trope. Special guests confirmed to take part in the season and the week-long online takeover include director Ngozi Mwura, whose film Welcome to the Terror Dome was the first feature directed by a black British woman to receive a UK theatrical release, and Nikesh Shukla, who co-wrote the short film Two Doses and edited the essay anthology The Good Immigrant. The season will culminate on the 30th of July with the short film programme Culture Shock, which was selected from submissions responding to the theme But Where Are You Really From, presented by Tape and Under London. As ever, these interviews are recorded on Zoom, so please bear with any technical glitches, and I hope you enjoy this very lovely chat with the women of tape. This is episode 88 of Best Girl Grip. What I usually like to start is just by, you know, getting a sense of how each of you came into the film industry, and so I'd love to, you know, ask each of you in turn to talk about what your current job is and how you arrived at that role. One of the things that I find really interesting about the film industry, I'm sure maybe this is applicable to other industries as well, but specifically since we're all part of the film industry, is how everybody has such a roundabout route of getting in. And I guess that's a lot to do with how, you know, the lack of transparency, but which is a whole nother issue, but it is quite fascinating to hear people's different entries into the industry. So personally, long story as short as I can possibly make it. I did a law degree, uh, was sort of going down that route, but had always been like very much head in film and then got a sort of, like these sort of unpaid internships, like writing film reviews and stuff, which sort of led on to writing reviews for film festivals and programming at Barbican with these guys and all those sort of little film experiences built a bigger experience that helped me get a job in factual TV. So I was working in factual TV for a bit as a researcher and in production, and then eventually got a job in a feature film production company. So yeah, just, I mean, to completely agree what Angie says in terms of how things have just been sort of roundabout and how you just end up where you end up. I actually left my job as a program marketing manager in October, 2020 at a cinema, at a new cinema that I helped launch. And I'm currently, I I went freelance and 
the idea was to focus on tape as we sort of went, and I was like centering tape a bit and like refocusing it, all these other opportunities came my way. Um, so my background is really in community spaces and venues and exhibition. Um, and so within that, that's marketing and outreach and curation. So I'm currently working with Bird's Eye View on their community fund and community outreach. I'm also working with Inclusive Cinema, which is part of Film Hub Wales on their marketing. I started a job today with Biffa as their community outreach Amazing. for their marketing campaign. Yes. And tape. Those are the main things with that. I've, you know, had great opportunities in terms of hosting events, which a lot of that has been online actually. And writing like small little pieces uh, for things but yeah just just the way Angie said it as well is actually I started off with writing reviews for free for people and like attending festivals which was really great in and then that led to the Barbie Young programmers and then at the same time I was working in community spaces anyways six years later here I am the rest as they say is history and Nelly how about for you a bit like Angie I've always been a bit of a film nerd but I've never been like told me it was a sustainable career and then been really told me about it. I was like obviously aware of directors and stuff. But I never really thought about them from a business perspective. So I studied history. Then when I finished uni, I still didn't know what to do. just didn't want to be a teacher. <laughs> so then to delay the situation, I went to Columbia for a year and was an assistant teacher. <laughs> and then when I got back, I just suddenly realised that like if what was going to happen next was that I was going to you know, just get a generic job and probably not retire till I'm like 80 or something. I should really give what I love a go. So I started just applying for, you know, every film internship I came across and had sort of a demoralising unemployed four months and then got on this scheme, this pilot scheme actually at the time called Feds, which is like film exhibition distribution and sales. Uh, and there was just like 12 of us on it. And it's, yeah, it's been amazing. It, um, I got a partnership with a company called Bag, who distribute like British indie works and first-time directors and was there for a few years. And then I went off from that to work for the distribution arm of the National Theatre. So I work at National Theatre Live and in their sales. Cool. So yeah, I mean you're spread across the industry as possibly far as you can be. So I'm really I'm really interested in how programming became to be kind of a common interest. You mentioned obviously there that you met through the Barbican Young Programmers scheme. But A, how did you even know that existed? And B, can you maybe talk about yeah, how you knew what programming was and why that was something that you were interested in as individuals? So when I was at VAD twofold, so the scheme I was doing feds was co-run by the Film Distribution Organisation and the ICO, the Independent Cinema Office. Mm -hmm. And as it so happened, Verb shared an office with the Independent Cinema Office who, I don't know if people who are listening to this would know this, but the Independent Cinema Office do lots of programming for cinemas all around the UK. A mixture of being on the scheme and also just organically being in the room and I overheard a lot about what programmers do on a day-to-day. And it seems crazy really, but a bit like I was saying earlier about being aware of directors but not really anything else in the industry, I never really occurred to me when I was younger that there was someone whose whole job is obviously to select what is played and when, mm-hmm. which is obviously so pivotal to like access and like diversity in what you're watching. So that yeah, I was really, really interested in that and wanted to get more involved and ask them how I could. And you know, a bit like we've said already, there was it was a lot of just like you've got to volunteer, try and build up your practice, your experience, your um, even just your confidence in it. So I volunteered at I think the first one I did was like African Film Festival and then I applied to the Barbican Young Programmers I think like it was just advertised on general websites and I got permission from my boss to work earlier hours those days to go in because it was like twice a week like every other week you would go in 
either after work or on Saturday. And that's where I met these guys who had already been doing it for a year. I'm not going to lie. I genuinely don't remember where I heard about it. I don't know if any of you do, but I, I couldn't tell you. But I somehow did. I don't remember at what point. I think I was just at a point where I was sort of teetering on the edge of whether or not I felt like I could work in film or whether that was like a possibility. I do remember at the very first, so Isra and I met on the, on the first year that we did it and then we met Nelly after because Nelly sort of did like a subsequent year. So I do remember I came in late because I'm sort of late to a lot of places a lot of the time. And there was like one seat left next to this one over here, next to Isra. And so I don't know what they call that, like kiss mat or something, maybe. <laughs> but it gets better though, because you'd been at LFF. We'd both been at LFF, I think, because it kind of stood, so the Young Broken Programmers thing starts in October. And we'd both been at LFF. And we, I was just like, and she had her, I think you had your lanyard around your neck even. And I was like, oh my God, I've been, you know, I, and that was the first year I'd gone to LFF as press. And then we sat next, next to each other. And we started talking about our commute and stuff and we were going in the same direction. Oh, and we both lived in Streatham as well. Yeah. A lot of coincidences. <laughs> there, so. Yeah. So yeah, that is the first time we met. But the question in terms of like, I always loved film. I get it from my family's very sort of film viewing types and, and quite a broad range of films. Like it was everything from getting smuggled into the cinema to watch a horror to just like sort of old school 80s, like cult films, basically. It was just a really wide range of films. But I remember thinking I never, I didn't really want to make films. I was like, I don't think that's for me. And I remember looking up what distribution meant at quite a young age like I was probably like 14 15 looking at what distributors did and I still don't know what they do but it's also like like as in the fact that I still haven't really quite tapped into that and then the the opportunity came up the same time that I went back to uni because I took two years off and when I went back I added film to my degree and it just felt like you know I got you know I got a festival pass to LFF I got into this uni to study film uh, this barbecue opportunity came up mm-hmm. and so I applied and it was very sort of I think they were very much at the forefront of diversity training like not diversity training necessarily but sort of creating opportunities for underrepresented voices I don't think there was actually that much going on at the time and I was sort of drawn to that as well and I thought it was really interesting and I applied and yeah got it and so it all just sort of came together at the same perfect time and I have a kind of a two-parter I'm kind of wondering a what you hope to get out of that you know whether you had a career goal in mind and you thought this is what I want to achieve and also I'm wondering like how do you teach programming you know what what was the experience like of learning what that job was or what you could do within that realm they did uh, so that it was very like organized in terms of workshops. I don't know what it's like anymore because that was the first year they did it. So I think it was really a learning curve. And the idea was for it to last for three years. But I think they've gone down to one year now. So one week we'd have a workshop on distribution. One week we'd have a, a workshop on like writing copy. One week we'd have a workshop on like finding rights and looking for rights. And it was really interesting. So you got to meet all these, you know, industry professionals to come and speak about what they did and how they did it. So it was very much sort of programming one on one. And then we were given slots to actually program so the, I think that is really important as well as the opportunity it's not just sort of sitting there and being talked at but it's actually being told just do what you need to do and of course the beauty of it is that everything was sorted out for you and so even though we learned loads of things we didn't actually call anyone up 
to ask for the rights, nor did we, you know, pay the invoice ourselves or anything. Uh, and so it was just a great sort of opportunity. And then the venue was there, the tech was there, you know. Looking back on it, I never actually really expected to get anything from it. I don't think, it's kind of like, I don't know if it was you who said it earlier, Nicole, about how a bit of disbelief that people get paid to do certain things. Like, wow, that's an actual job kind of thing. I, I think in my head, like I said, I'm sort of like teetering on the edge of entry to that sort of space. But I don't think I actually had thought it that far ahead, like what I was actually getting out. It was just something that seemed really interesting and, and just being adjacent to film in that way. And also just like learning something that, like in more detail that you didn't have any sort of knowledge or experience in whatsoever. Bit of a pull. And um, yeah, the like I just said, like just really seamless. It's kind of like you can sit in a room with all these people and have all these ideas and it's just sort of, you know, and be guided in like what that all means and how it should look and like the best way to approach it. But then it does kind of magically comes together. Yeah, I suppose that's quite an infectious part of programming, right? Is that you actually see an idea come to fruition in perhaps quite a short amount of time compared to, yeah, if you were to pursue a filmmaking career you could be grafting for a lot of years before you see the thing that you wanted to happen so was that part of maybe a pool for you Nelly or anyone else like that you saw it happen for me it was definitely like like when I signed on I think because you had to apply stuff as well like it felt like a a big thing to even get there I'm not sure like how astute the actual process is but I remember being sort of yeah I definitely saw it as like an educational thing like if I learn this maybe I'll have an opportunity afterwards to go forward and you know, because it's Barbican, it's like a really established brand and because like you get to screen in that space, like that was like a really empowering thing. But then I also, because we talked about earlier how like I didn't, I was never sort of told that film was something that like someone with my background could go into. I do remember feeling quite like overwhelmed when I got in there, like on day one, because this room of like 15 people, but you can be 16 years old and do it. So like I remember being like, oh my God, I've got so many years to catch up on. <laughs> I was like 22. I was like, my life is behind me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite a big age gap actually, isn't it? it was 16 yeah. 25. It's quite, you do, you do quite a lot um, differently in those, those ages. And then obviously we have to talk about tape, which is why we're all here. How on earth did you come to that idea? Do you remember having like an aha moment of, okay, we need to get together and do this ourselves? I think Isra and I were at a restaurant in Brixton, which is our stomping ground. And we had a conversation. I don't even know if she remembers this. We had a conversation where we both sort of talked about how it was all, we sort of revealed to each other that we would always want to own a cinema, which was a big like massaging growth factor to our relationship. But then Isra went on to run this really cool like community space in Stratton. Um, called Lachio Pop for a while and because she had this space the plan was oh we can use this to like start screening films and like this really interesting little indie community hub and the plan didn't exactly work out that way but the dreams I guess sort of stayed alive and um, it sort of got to a point where we were basically like okay well if we can't do it there then where can we do it and we were like hooked on this idea of like alternative spaces and actually not wanting to show films in traditional cinemas and wanting to find like these intimate alternative hubs where people who were like really like-minded or have similar interests or just want to find something new could come into a little space and be really chill and just watch a movie. So that's, I 
think how it started and then Nelly obviously because we met Nelly through Barbican and we were all friends so it, that really organically just turned into her coming on to tape as well and kind of started from there. Yeah I think we just we started doing screenings probably like six months after my space closed and then Nelly was just so supportive and just like always there and like always like attending and helping and like always just helping. And I think we just went, well, this is obviously a trio, like obviously. And so that's kind of when we decided that the three of us should just move forward doing this together. But it's really important as well to, to sort of point out that it was for the past few years, it's just been summer where we can just we can just do whatever we want and there was never like a biz I know that it started off with I want to run a cinema uh, as most conversations sort of start like we both were sort of adore cinemas so much and so we you know it maybe started with that conversation but we never had like a business plan or like a strategy or mm-hmm. because and I think we had a conversation that we probably hadn't labeled at that time but it was about spaces for us and who decides what that space is and who decides what's inclusive and who decides what's inviting and I think we were fully aware of the opportunities given to us through the and the screenings there but still kind of thought still still not ours and just you know I think we went in terms of what we were trying to cover we covered quite a lot of things in terms of the audience are going to be young people like us from South London are really casual and just interested in film but don't really see themselves represented in terms of programming it's going to be films that we are shocked aren't didn't play longer you know it's going to be films that we are aware of but if it, if we didn't have a festival pass we would never have seen if someone should watch it because our initial sort of programming ideas were, was very much films that didn't get distribution or that got like a really sort of small run that we kind of want to say wait a minute come back we want it you know we want more people to watch this it was also the the what angie said in terms of like alternative spaces and and flexible spaces which is how we then start adding like this idea of like playing a short film beforehand or you know having sort of just cross it more of a cross art event as opposed mm-hmm. to just a cinema screening and that was a birth of tape and it's just it's just sort of continued escalated (laughs) I'm wondering where the name tape comes from who came up with that what does it mean to you I feel like I don't know if these guys can tell but I feel like some of the time when we're coming up with names for things whether it's like we're we're curating an event and they're like oh what's it called it's just a lot of these names just come out on the fly Mm -hmm. and it's not because we're not thinking about it or because we don't care we're just saying the first thing that comes to our mouths but it's just sort of like sometimes it doesn't it doesn't feel like that much of a reach. Mm-hmm. Um, like you find something and it very quickly just feels like it works and it feels comfortable. So I think it was kind of probably one of them ones. I think I was we were talking about what it should be called and it just felt quite intuitive and it felt intuitive in the sense that it is multifunctional has like a lot of different it can be interpreted different ways I guess obviously the most obvious sort of connotation is film like film on tape VCR what have you but also I don't know like the the physicality of film how alive it is how varied it is the idea of having discussions recording something seeing something I don't know like all of the kind of meanings lumped into one is basically in short something that um is really simple but has a lot of meaning and they're all connected to film in some way you definitely came up with the name i remember the day you told me we were both thinking about what it should be called and then we met up at the ball and stram i remember this and i think you were quite like nervous to like present not nervous or anything but quite like okay i have an idea Uh, and it was tape and i was like genius 
absolutely genius and I do think it's the sort of the retro element to it we've sort of worked with the branding a bit more so now we're very specific about the fact that the letters have to be spaced out which was never really a priority before I don't think and more recently it's like very key that that is how it's written Mm. which makes people think it stands for something but I like that idea of taking up space and and you're both giving space as well to to conversation and to yeah things that have hitherto been hidden or underestimated because I just thought it looked horrible scrunched up so Mm -hmm. that consciously probably was a point of like spreading it out it does look horrible when I see when I see someone just write tape collective like together like that I don't like it even writing the questions, I like painstakingly went through and put gaps. I know, I was like, I because what, once you've yeah. once you've seen it on the website, you're like, oh, that's how it has to be. <laughs> well, you'll be surprised. That's why we agreed to doing this because you'd spaced out the. <laughs> and then I'm interested in how you function as a trio, and you know how you're like kind of you you do all the different roles. You know, is it very clear, like cut and dry between what each of you do, and does that often correspond with what you do in the actual film industry? You know, as a as a day job or are you kind of all hands on deck doing what needs to be done as and when we're always talking about this because uh i don't know i feel like traditionally yeah like i'll pick up more of the distribution side of things or the programming it's really you know if there's something that needs to be handled with event side or just needs to be done quickly like she's your girl and, and like obviously angie like understands producing very very so like there is an element of like we both will intuitively you know, go well like obviously that's an analogy that's so i'll do that but I don't know, we're, we're often talking about like, oh, who's doing what? What's the deadline? I'd be really good if we just like assigned ourselves roles and had like little badges and maybe bags. <laughs> it used to work better. Back in the yeah. when we were doing like one screening a month, it was like, this is fine. Everybody muck in. But I think as time has gone on and things have snowballed, especially this year, we've had a lot of discussions about how to structure ourselves, which is something we're still figuring out, I think. Well, I think the the one thing that really works, so a lot has changed in the past year, like a lot, not even the past year, I'd say since October. So it's a very short uh, amount of time, but quite a big growth. So pre-October, I would say that we there was an understanding where we literally all did it, you know, because I, I come from an events background, but it wasn't, I wasn't the only one doing the events, everyone was. And I'm not always the most confident, like sort of programmer. Like I quite like it when Angie and Ellie do those bits. And sometimes I'm just like, you do that and I'll do, I'll set up the mic whatever you know I just don't especially when we're talking about like physical stuff or the ticket link whatever it is we need to set up and we always did talk about how understanding we are as a trio in terms of like yes it's been running for six years but there was a good year where I didn't do anything where I absolutely didn't do anything for tape and there's been other years where we're sort of or months where someone's just like I'm too busy and then at least there's always two of us who can mm-hmm. sort of push things forward. Having said that, the past few months, the growth has been really exciting and we all still work full-time jobs. So even though the idea was that I would sort of part time freelancing, that's not happened. And I do think there's definitely an element of like, so now we might divide it more into projects. So maybe... Angie will take a lead on a certain project and then she'll run it past us. It's all, The spitballing is really interesting because I think that's the, the, well, the brainstorming is really where we kind of need, where everyone really can give input in terms of the other skills. I don't think we've figured that out yet. I'm interested to know what the catalyst behind that growth was. I think it was the fact that we had never gone for funding and we were just doing everything so makeshifty in ourselves. We'd never gone for funding. We were like putting money into things and just wanted things to happen because we were so safe and secure in our jobs, essentially, mm-hmm. that we'd never really wanted tape to be like a business necessarily. And so when Film Fields came around last year, I just put in an application. We put in an application based on this idea we had about exploring because we'd done that quite a lot, exploring identity and heritage 
heritage and we got the funding and I was like this is great <laughs> you know we put on the event and the event was really good and it kind of just came together and I was like this is great we can actually get funding and you know just these things happened this was July last year so we're coming up to like a year and then I really wanted to leave my job and I was sort of but I didn't I didn't have anything lined up and so to justify that I was like I'll focus on tape I'll focus on getting tape funding I'll focus on like you know we now are at a point in our careers where it, it could actually be a viable business with all our skills and expertise and it's been like five years and then from then literally pretty much the day I left my job we submitted a proposal to the BFI which was but where are you really from which was based on you know years and years of us doing programming or hosting events around that theme and just never thinking that one day it might be a large-scale event and so we took if we did it you know we just went for it and it's worked out really well I'm really interested in your kind of programming ethos as a collective and particularly maybe in the context of taking together but where are you really from how are you deciding what to put in that season you talked about the word intuition is it that is it just trusting a gut instinct that it feels right within the context of these other films or are you kind of looking for something very specific and having to like really go out and hunt for it talk me through that process sort of all of the above I mean what's really cool about tape is that you know we love films we're talking about the films that we come across and whether it's our day jobs and our free time times there's always been like a lot of like power today which like allows for the intuition and also have the confidence to spitball an idea to the other two and see what happens. I work for like, I freelance at film festivals and stuff, so a lot of it is like, what do I watch there that I feel speaks to, to the tape kind of manifesto or like, so yeah, I'm always keeping a track of things like that um, and, and I know the other two too, do too, like from a like production perspective and you know, Angie's even helped produce films and so is Australia. So yeah, a lot. and then like we've always been quite strong in programming themes, like not always, but it's been quite a common standpoint for us. It's like, this is our idea, what feeds into that? So we'll always sort of like backtrack from, not necessarily the title, but like the, the mandate of that programme and work back to see what films work for that and work for us. There's also an element for us which is about supporting emerging talent and just so we work quite a lot with short films and it kind of goes back to our initial idea when we started tape in terms of just like there's so many films that are just disappearing and I think even now it's even worse and so in terms of short films we just want to make sure that they get seen a bit more and that the talent behind it get a bit more recognition so I think in terms of how we program it, it sometimes the key film or the anchor of it is something that's obvious and then we'll work around it like the way Nelly said so we'll we'll, they'll be like for instance for but where are you really from I think head on was that because I keep going on about head on but head on by Fatih Akin was a key one that I am a bit obsessed with and have probably been obsessed with for a really long time and so that I think was just sort of something that I felt this needs this needs to be part of the season and then from then on there was a long list and then a short list and you know and then you do all the rights and stuff but there's a combination of like this is so obvious and so solid and then doing your research around the stuff around it while still maintaining a focus on women, films by women, and a focus on people who sort of express that feeling of being of mixed heritage really well and being emerging filmmakers. So there's quite a lot of things that we try to sort of cover. And I'm wondering what the collaboration with the BFI was like and what it meant to you as a collective, as individuals, to have something that you put together screening in an institution and in a a surrounding such as the BFI. I think overall, it's been like a really, you know, obviously it's been a really great opportunity and a really positive one. We've been speaking to Kimberly, um, she and at BFI for like months now, and she's been super supportive and she's so great at like giving 
you lots of space to just fill it the way you want to um mm-hmm. but while also like giving a guiding hand wherever it's needed so I think she, you know she strikes that balance really well so yeah I think like going into a space with the BFI I mean it's huge and like when she told me it happened like I couldn't quite believe it I was like what like who have I actually sent yet <laughs> I mean I had full faith in you but what <laughs> but yeah when you go into a space like that like I mean I've applied for jobs at the BFI before and not got them but it's like somewhere I went to even as a kid you know and you know it's the heart you know whether you talk about breaking out of institutions or not it, like is sort of a, a core of what British film is meant to be and like indie film so I can remember going there for years and being like oh like wouldn't it be cool to to be part of this rather than just like a viewer but yeah when you get an opportunity like that there's also sort of like there's breaking through what that institution is and like how do you maintain what tape is but also very rightly do what the, what the BFI like expect to do was within their brand as well and I think maybe Kim who has been sort of our our mentor as it were for the BFI and been like helping us program in a way that allows us to have plenty of space and has also maintained like our confidence with it so she's been like you know this needs to be written with these things in mind but also like she's always been very clear that she wants our voice and that's really important for us yeah I mean the one thing I'd say is we what's really important with tape is that we need to be able to do what we want to do there's there's no point in us going into a, a space or a project or an organization that we're not fully comfortable with that isn't fun and easy to work with mm-hmm. because it, it tape came from a space of just doing what we want to do and we just need to sort of be able to continue that and Kim is just so great that she wouldn't even give feedback on the program you know it went through a few phases and I'd be like well, what do you think and she, she'd be like it's just completely your program which is so great I think at one point she was just you know and I'm I'm quite sort of I think I guess I haven't thought about it but it is really nice to be recognized in terms of what you've done is good enough for somewhere like the BFI, which I don't think we've even talked about or like sort of acknowledged, but it's a really nice feeling for them to sort of, for the programming team there to look at and be like, this is great. In terms of collaborative, you know, it's, they've listened to us in terms of everything from what the vibe is like and what our, you know, branding is like and the imagery and everything and what we think is right. Also in terms of what it means is I'm always so like audience first and it's really nice to be able to take over that space and people can view that whichever way they want you know people can say that that's b5 is getting a great program but and, you know we're getting a good opportunity but at the same time it's it's acknowledging that there's there are films there for an audience that might not have been to the BFI before purely maybe because they didn't feel it was for them and I think that is quite powerful and I'm really excited to sort of to see I'm probably going to be there every day in July I'm really interested in this idea of retaining the shape and the spine of tape when you're kind of putting it into like different institutions or spaces. And I'm wondering kind of how you go about doing that, particularly as young women, as young women of colour in spaces where historically your voices might not always have been listened to. Is that something that you come up against, that you struggle with? How do you retain your sense of self as a collective? First thing I guess that I would say is... How we, where we briefly touched on earlier about saying how we, we went into this whole thing, it was just something we wanted to do. For a long time, we were probably like losing money. Like Esther said, we, we weren't being funded or anything or applying for funding. And like some of the time we were probably like losing money out of our own pockets for it. But it literally kept going this long just because it was something we were just super passionate about. I know passionate is a word that gets thrown out around a lot, but like genuinely we just enjoyed doing it. And we were just driven by wanting to share films that we think are great with people who might agree with us, which 
you wouldn't see anywhere else. We were sort of taking ourselves into spaces that we felt comfortable with, that we had a lot of control over deciding to be in specific places. And they were also community grounded, that the, there was a similar sort of vibe, like there was a, a, we were like sort of in sync. When you talk about taking it to other spaces, sort of outside of that, I guess we've sort of, we've, we've honed and like chipped away at our own sort of guiding principles enough to know exactly what they are. When we're on really solid ground with that. And I think we approach with that, like hand in hand up front. And I think that sort of just sets the tone. Well, I think, I mean, you can say quite a lot in terms of the fact that tape had this growth during a time where spaces weren't even allowed. Um, and so for us to just sort of, I think when we did that event for the BFI Film Fields, which was where I'm from, uh, which was highlighting films by women of colour, which were short films talking about heritage and background. So it was like really sort of very specific. Mm-hmm. And I think when we did that, it was so completely and utterly ours in a space that we didn't have to sort of uh, compromise on. And I think there's a comfort in knowing that one day we'll have our own space as well. I just feel like we know that and that, you know, there's not really that much concern in terms of where we take things. I think, and you know, the way Andrew said, in terms of we've set the tone, we have set the tone. We have no interest in appeasing anyone. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. We're the ones who are going to people going, this is our audience. This is what we believe in. If you'd like a bit of like tape flavor, that's great. If you don't, that's fine. We can, you know, we've got good wickedry that can keep us busy. We've got, you know, our full-time jobs that can keep us busy. I just don't feel like there's any compromise with tape, which is why this sort of BFI thing has worked out really well, because I'm quite, not surprised, but they definitely could have been more ex-naying on things, and they didn't. I've been in places where I have to educate people, where I have to speak on, where people think that I'm qualified to speak on behalf of other people, which I think is really inappropriate. And I think in a freelance position, it's more like, this doesn't serve me. I don't like this. I shouldn't have to do this work for you. And then we can go and do what we want to do. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't have to do that. Like we did this, we were part of this feature in Days with Habibi Collective earlier this year. And in our sort of quote block, we had a thing talking about how like, there's a lot of conversation about the seat at the table and sort of coming to the the realisation that you don't necessarily want a seat at someone's table. Yeah, for sure, because it's not your table. Actually. And I mean, you mentioned Good Wickedry there, which was like a good time to talk about uh, that. That's the adjacent streaming platform, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm wondering at what stage you decided to add that to what Tape Collective does. We got a decent amount from Patricia Bright's fund was a breakthrough fund right cool uh, which was like you know no sort of questions asked really it was just to support a business of sorts and I think when we received that funding and things were shifting online anyways and that was a really good opportunity for us to like redo the website and you know we really want to pay we have no interest in like not paying people that's another thing that we care about is like fair paying compensation which starts with us setting the tone in terms of who gets paid and what do they get paid for. And so if we're putting a short film online, even if it doesn't make us any money, and even if that film was made five years ago, that person's going to get a token fee. And so that's really a lot of where tapes fees go go to, is, mm-hmm. is the sort of license fees for filmmakers that we host on Good Wickedry. In this instance, we park one film a week. Um, and there are a few things like that around now. I think it's I think it's a really nice way of experiencing cinema 
And it's also just like showing love to shorts, I guess. Mm. They're not necessarily always as accessible as features. So that's another way. It also ties into the whole thing about us just wanting to like highlight and shout about filmmakers who we think are doing really cool stuff. It's nice having a, a direct line a lot of the time to the filmmakers to be like, hey, we think your work is cool. And that starts that conversation. And then we put it up on there. And yeah, it's been continuing really nicely. And Nelly and Isra in particular have recently got like guest curators on, which has been really interesting, like handing the reins of that over to, mm. to, to do that. I think, I think it's a really nice touch as well. Like the guest curators is just a new thing. It was never really sort of, I don't think we'd ever really planned it. And it's really nice to see that that's actually so key to, to what we do is just like sort of creating opportunities collab like collaboration is really important to us and you know I don't always like that you know when, when you work in this industry I think we've all sort of seen multiple people do one thing and you're like just work together so our sort of platform you know a lot of money went into building that and a lot of money went into setting that up that I wouldn't I don't think another it wouldn't be easy for another organization to have to do that as well so they might as well just program a month through us mm-hmm. and then we cover the budget for the license fees and everything and it's just it's just I just think it's it's really great that we can continue doing things that are a bit outside the model and also show that it's actually successful absolutely and almost like extending the lifeline of both the films but the brand because you know programming can be a very kind of seasonal one hit kind of thing whereas yeah you kind of sustain it for a lot longer this way. Something I'm really interested in just from a personal perspective, because, you know, I have a passion project. Uh, You know, I'm I'm reticent to call it a side hustle because I think that minimizes and puts it on the periphery. But I'm wondering when you're not getting paid to do something, maybe not at the beginning, how do you retain that sense of kind of fun and vitality and wanting to do it when maybe, you know, sometimes it can be really hard and the motivation's not there. You know, for you guys, how have you retained that passion that you spoke about? through all these years it's funny you ask that because I don't think you know like I said it was never our intention to get paid or to do things we kind of just want to cover our costs and like a lot of the the money that tape is getting paid for certain opportunities goes into good wickedry and so it's not we're not even and I think maybe there's a concern that if we started if we started going in a different direction mm-hmm. maybe we wouldn't it wouldn't be the tape we know if we started sort of trying to cash in on it. I think, I mean, we've, you know, we've been asked this before and I think it just comes down to we, we like tape. We love it. You know, we get really passionate discussing all kinds of conversations in the film. You know, I've, I don't get to have these conversations with, with a lot of people in terms of talking about distribution or filmmaking or, you know, funding and all these things that we're just like always talking about. I think Angie said before in terms of we've sustained it for five, six years. I think purely on passion because we were so deeply interested in in what we were doing because we got to see people in a different way because we all have very serious jobs you know doing serious things and then we get to come together through tape to add to that last note and I'll say this um sensitively you know we also have other jobs that we do and I think I think a lot of people will relate to this that sometimes in your job there are there are frustrations like no job is perfect you come up against a lot of different things that um yeah can be frustrating to you and a great thing about tape is it's something we have full control over we work really well together and having that control there's a lot of joy to be found in being able to run something the way that you, and the way that you like this is really satisfying you know 
it would be ridiculous to say that we haven't all had months where we've checked out or it's been too busy or down or like we don't earn a lot of money in our day jobs you know like where where funding hasn't been an issue but it's kept going I think because it's not because we're delivering to, to what we want to do and because we're here supporting each other and yeah had a meeting today about something and someone just said oh you know I've seen your great work through tape and I I just was like I've never it's just so exciting to hear someone say that word as if it's a real thing (laughs) because we've sort of just say tape to each other and we we know what tape is but it's really exciting to hear someone else just talk about tape out of context in a way no but to see it as like a living breathing thing outside of yourselves that's like probably a really great moment of like recognition of being like oh wow no we've created something that has a life of its own no I completely that resonates something also that I'm really I'm I'm conscious of time but I really want to know we spoke about kind of how your different expertise might inform the roles that you take on within the collective but I'm also wondering if that happens vice versa and whether anything that you've done within the Tate Collective has informed how you work outside of it. Yeah, I mean, I think actually quite, I think a lot of my freelance opportunities now are because of tape. Uh, and I think, I mean, I've said this to Angie quite a long time ago in terms of where I'm at in my career is not because of the training and opportunities I was giving in my employment. It's because of the the side hustle of tape. And the because that wasn't, that's something we did and it's something we grew. And then when you put that on your CV and you're like, these are all the things I did without anyone asking me to, without anyone telling me to this is something I grew all of a sudden there's like a, a peaked interest and so I think there's quite a lot in terms of who our audience is the kind of films we've curated hard to reach audiences that people just really want to reach and like you know there's a lot of sort of talk about community outreach and audience engagement that no one has really taught us and that we've just done really well and that feeds in really well into, into my job and the other things I do no yeah I agree with what you said like especially some things are just I think by way of being part of a group which is so-called underrepresented some things are just more instinctive to you than they are to people who are sitting making those decisions which means that a lot of the time those decisions aren't being made very well so I think there are places where we get involved where it's like well we can do this quite easily like as I said it's not necessarily something that we've been taught but we can offer that because we are just tapped into certain spaces and also that we're always looking at these spaces and looking for them yeah that doesn't come like I think as distinctively to some people so that I I think in that in a way is I guess something that is strong about tape and sometimes it's not even about us like Isra has said this before I think that sometimes it's not about someone saying we want to do this thing that champions blah 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 sometimes Mm -hmm. it's about being like you're not the best place person to do that but who do you know who is that person and can you give them the opportunity to do that and you yeah. just pull them and work with them and do that so I think it's just about knowing that balance as well. What are your ambitions for tape moving forward? Right so I think we should distribute I think we should distribute future films quite soon. I think we are actually we've supported two short films in post-production so they've finished now thanks to a little bit of funding we gave them which is really exciting so we're going to support those films in the festival circuit I think we want to produce a little bit more in terms of actually develop and produce films short films I'm I'm living for all of this we've talked about this before so we talked about this producing yeah so we've got three scripts that we're working with that we're 
trying to develop and get funding for, which is like impossible, but we're still trying. And we'd love to open a cinema one day because of our skills and expertise. I love the idea of like development, like even working with talent quite early on all the way to, uh, you know, development, producing, distributing, exhibiting, audience development and just doing all of that uh, in a very tape way. That's my plan. And I think we're all in it together. And I think just looking at how quickly things have grown in the past eight, nine months, it, it just, it, like I said before, it just feels like it's going to happen. I believe in mindful growth. Uh, and so because I have worked in terms of like creating inclusive spaces and, and launching things and growing things, I just always think that it needs to be mindful. And so as long as it can be mindful, which it has been so far, where we sort of, you know, a lot of the things we deliver is in terms with like with kindness and being supportive and understanding, even with the people we work with, with, with everyone. And so if we can continue doing that, but still run an empire, then, then I'm really happy. I'm here for that. A pastoral empire. Love it. Coming towards the end, I'd love to know if there is a film that each of you want to, to platform and spotlight by a woman director that you think is a bit of a hidden gem. I would love to give a shout out to um, Ngozi Onrua, a British female director. There's been a lot of, uh, do you know what, we, she's part of our BFI season. We're showing her film Shoot the Messenger, which came out some years back, starring David Ayelowa. And she's going to do a Q&A after, so I'm going to chat to her, ask her some things. And maybe this is something I need to dig into more or just ask her, but I think her feature... Her debut feature, Welcome to the Terradrome, which has become like in recent years, like more of a cult sort of classic. Mm-hmm. I think it's something like the first film in the UK to be theatrically released by a black film director. I think that is what has been said about it. Whatever, like great achievement, but like to not shrink that to the sum of her achievements. I think mm-hmm. she's been putting in a lot of amazing work for a long time. Personally, I think not entirely to the juice that she should have gotten for the vision that she was bringing, especially so early on and so uniquely and in such a punk way. But I feel like it's getting, it's garnered some more appreciation over the years and she's still doing stuff. And she has a brilliant body of work, which I would recommend people check out. So actually I'm going to shout out two of her films. Welcome to the Terradrome as a debut feature and Shoot the Messenger, which is part of our BFI season. I love that concept of a body of work. I'm very like into the idea of just like accumulating things that relate to you and that you you know you have something to say about as opposed to yeah having to having a needing to say it in kind of one one go or one film. Definitely, I recommend all of the films right now. <laughs> I guess I'm not saying. <laughs> but the other day I came across um, a film by I'm going to pronounce it wrong probably, but uh, Sarah Gomez, who like was this Cuban fil- um, black filmmaker in the 60s and 70s, and I just came across her. Um, so she only made one feature because sadly she died last month when she was 31. But she also like assisted directed Agnes Varga. And I, I was really fascinated by it. So you can find it free on YouTube. And it starts off as like this sort of, I don't want to say clunky, but it's like, um, so it, it intertwines like a fictional love story with a sort of fake documentary news real footage. So when you're first watching it and you've seen the blurb that it's like a love story, you're like, wait, is this, am I watching the right thing? But also it is kind of beautiful, but also it's scratchy. But like, as it goes on, and I think it's like less than an hour and a half, it's still like really like, 
Uh, yeah, I, I think like, she teaches you a lot about Cuba from my perspective and you know, the, the characters are really engaging and different from everything I've seen before. Yeah, and it's kind of sad in a way, I guess, like bittersweet knowing that she didn't go on any further. But yeah, for me, that was like the thing that I've discovered recently that I found really interesting. Guys, thank you so, so much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you and to hear more about Tate. Thank you so much, Nicole. It's been lovely speaking to you. Yeah, really, thank you for having me. Thank you for downloading this episode of Best Girl Grip. You can find all my previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast. If you're particularly interested in programming, I recommend tuning into my episodes with Anna Bogotskaya and Karina Antrobus. I'll be back with another episode next Tuesday, but in the meantime, have a wonderful week. Mm-hmm.